living the living word the living word the angel said to Mary why are you looking for the living amongst the dead we serve a risen savior a living savior who is working and moving on our behalf those who have trusted in him for salvation he is moving and interceding for you right now no matter the situation or the circumstance God is moving on behalf of his people right now because indeed he is the living word amen Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. We thank our praise team for leading us in worship this morning. Amen. Well, welcome to each and every one of you to this local church gathered at Forest Baptist. So grateful that you are here to worship with us. And we don't uh, believe it's a happenstance or just by chance that the Lord has allowed you to enter into this church house one more time. It is good to see you. And it is to God be the glory for it is him and him alone who has kept us. You didn't keep yourself this week. I hope you don't believe that. You didn't wake yourself up this morning. I hope you don't believe that. It wasn't because you was all nice and, and fresh that, that, that you are in your right mind and have a decent portion of health right now. But it's because of the Lord's tender mercy and his grace that we are able to stand to come another week to the first day of the week, this Lord's Day, and to lift our voices in praise to our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Amen. And even with that said, we want to be mindful to be in prayer for our, our local body. Uh, much has been going on as much as always going on. We want to be prayerful for those who are even in the midst of bereavement right now. Uh, many of our senior saints have been going home to glory. Their gain, but our loss. That truly, uh, uh, what comes to mind is what Paul says, to live is Christ. To die is gain. And, and, and we need to be living in a way that we can say that honestly and straightforwardly and, and, and not be ashamed about it. To live is Christ. Every single day, I want to please Christ. Every single day, I want to serve Christ. Every single day, I want to love on Christ and, and, and be used to do his will in this world. But if I don't wake up tomorrow, you ain't got to worry about me. You ain't got to worry about where I might be. You don't have to have a concern or care because I'm going to see my Savior face to face. I'm going to be in glory, shouting hallelujah, praise the Lord. You ain't got to worry about where I'm going to be. To live is Christ, but to die is gain. So may we be in prayer for the body of Christ, many health issues, uh, people in the hospital recovering. Uh, I don't know if you've seen on Facebook just the other day, babies being born. We, pray, we, we praise God for how he kept uh, PJ and Carrington and and I, I don't even know if you could call that a birth. That was an adventure. You know, I, I'm just reminded constantly 
but God. You show up, ain't nobody around, but God placed angels right there. You, you, you worried about having a baby, but God placed some, some folks who are, who are trustworthy enough to keep your kids while you giving birth. Praise God that, that, that as you are getting off the elevator, it's a shift change, and all hands was on deck. It wasn't a skeleton crew. It was, it was more than enough people to handle the situation. Don't you know but God in a situation and circumstance? Don't you know but God shows up and shows out but God? But God, your house still standing. But God, you made it another week. But God, your children are safe. But God, your bills are paid. But God, you got a transportation. But God, you got food on your table and clothes on your back. But God, I don't know about you, but God, that I ain't went crazy yet. But God, who has showed his love for me and reminds me every day that he loves me and he has a purpose for, but God, but God, but God, but God. But God, reminded of the psalmist who declared, if it had not been the Lord on our side, where would we be? If, if it had not been the Lord going to war for you. If it had not been the Lord going in before you. We talking about how, how the Lord keep us from danger, seen and unseen. You don't even know, you don't even know what he kept you from last night. The deaf angel might have been hovering over your bed last night. But God stayed his hand. Satan been trying to get at you all week. But God stayed his hand. You don't even know what's going on in the, the spiritual realm. God is waging war on your behalf, but God, you don't even realize what it took for you to get here. The Lord may have, he may have had to send a, a charge of angels just to escort you through the door because Satan was waiting for you right outside in the parking lot. You don't even know. You think you coming in and everything okay? But God sent his angels to watch over you last night. But God. But God. Amen. We've been, we've been trying to keep a clock for worship. Alex, that don't count. Start the clock now. 
that don't that don't even count. Let me let me let me get it back together and act act sophisticated for a moment. Well, if you would turn with me in your Bibles to Revelation, the second chapter. As we continue our study in this great book of Revelation. This has been such an enjoyable study for me in my personal life as I'm looking and gazing into what uh, the heart of the heart of God and how his desire for the local church to be a integral part of the consummation of all things. And last week we began this this brief series entitled to the church. These are simply letters to the church, to the people of God who who he has called out to himself to be his ambassadors in this lost, dying, and broken world. And last week, we just reminded you, you don't have to be scared. Don't be scared of revelation, especially if you know Jesus is a savior. Let me take that back and rephrase that. If you know Jesus, you ain't got to be scared. But if you don't, if you don't know Jesus, then you ought to be scared. Because in the end, he wins, and, and he has a people that he is rescuing and bringing to himself, and we will rule with him forever and ever and ever. And to, the, and to those who conquer, he got a crown for you. So this morning, we specifically turn our attention to the first of seven letters to the seven churches in Asian, Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. But if you would, in honor reading of God's word, please stand with me as we read. From Revelation, the second chapter, verses 1 through 7, as it is our tradition, when we are reading the inerrant, infallible, authoritative word of God, this is the word of God. Please hear the voice of Christ. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands, I know your works your toil and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake and you have not grown weary but I have this against you that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the work of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to the one who conquers. I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading, hearing, and doing of his word. You may be seated. Just want to place before us the theme, letter to a loveless church. Letter to a loveless church. Let us pray. Gracious Father. Savior, Redeemer, lover of our souls. Father, we humbly come before your mighty throne of grace 
because of the shed blood of Jesus, able to enter in and to request of you this, this day, this moment. And Father, my request is that you would have mercy upon us and that you would pour out your Holy Spirit in a physical and intangible way, that we would experience worship in a way that would bring transformation to our hearts, souls, and minds. Holy Spirit, please give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to believe, and to receive what thus saith the Lord. We love you and we thank you. Please use my weak and foolish words. Speak through me. Speak for me. That we would see Jesus. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. You know, this is an odd question, but I find it even more relevant these days. When was the last time you actually received a letter in the mail. See, back in the day, that's, that's the only way we could communicate, right? If we wanted to talk to someone in another state, if we wanted to find out how they were doing, we actually had, we actually had to use a pen and paper. You know, pens, them things that you, you write an income out of on paper. We actually had to sit down and write a letter, and, and we had to fold it up, we had to put it in an envelope. We had to go get stamps. You know, stamps, them things, them, yeah, sticky on the back, and you put it on the envelope. And we actually had to either go to the, to, to the, uh, the mailbox. Y'all remember when the mailboxes used to be on every curb? You just walk out to the mailbox. Put it, you either had to go to the mailbox or to the post office to send the letter. But when we received the letter, wasn't that joyous? It was always good to receive a letter to know that someone was thinking about you. Someone, someone actually took the time to, to sit down and to write a letter to you. I guess the equivalent these days is uh, how often do you get email messages that are of some relevance? I'm not, not, you know, not those spam emails talking about you get rich quick, but something that is actually mean, meaningful. Or maybe, maybe not email, maybe a text message. When was last time that you got a meaningful text message? Not one going off of you because they ain't heard from you because they just texted you five minutes ago. But I'm talking about a meaningful text message. It may have been, been, been a while since we received something nice like that. But whatever it may be, it is always nice to receive a letter, text, email, because it lets you know that someone's thinking about you. Beloved, when we look at the book of Revelation, it is nice to receive this letter because we're reminded that Jesus is thinking about us. He's thinking about his church and he's thinking about you. And he actually cares and he has a concern and, and he has taken the time to lay out for us what is, what is presently going on in the world around us, but also what is to come. And, and he, is, he is lovingly leading us through this world in order that we would genuinely reflect his glory before all we come in contact with. But if Jesus were to write you a letter today, or even better yet, if, if Jesus was to write us a letter today, this church gathered at Forest Baptist, what would you think it would say? Would he commend us much? Would he say, you're doing a great job in this area, and I'm excited about how you're obeying in this area? Would, would he have anything to commend us about as a church? Or would he condemn us? 
Would we fall under condemnation because we're not being obedient, because we're not being faithful, because we're not, we're not doing what he has called us to do and he's calling us out on these specific little things? What would that letter say to us? Beloved, whatever that letter said, we would be wise to humbly listen and obey. See, but here's the thing. Jesus has written us a letter. And we find his words in that of scripture, the word of God, the 66 books. He's written to us this love letter and he wants us to know what he expects of us and how we can overcome and how we are to live in this world and what and and the hope that we have to look for in the future. He's given us a love letter. And this morning, metaphorically speaking, we want to open one such letter, this letter to the church in Ephesus. The reason we know Jesus is writing to us here in this second chapter in addressing the seven churches, remember, this is prophetic, apocalyptic literature. So so the the use of symbols and the use of numbers always represents something. So, So when he says he's writing seven letters to the seven churches... Number seven is the number of completion. It's based upon the the calendar week. It took the Lord seven days for all of creation. That that is complete. So what he is saying is, in giving this letter to the seven churches, I am writing to the complete church, the whole church, the church, the universal church, and the local church that was and is and is to come. This letter is for us today as just as it was for the church in Ephesus. During their day. This is for all of us. John is speaking on behalf of Christ for all of us, for the church today. And he is speaking to us. And don't 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 go past this. We we begin to hear a direct address in the shadow of the overwhelming glory of Jesus. We've just saw in chapter one. You remember the glory of Jesus? He's coming down in his white robe. His eyes are like fire. His, 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 uh, coming out of his mouth is like a sword. And, and we are, we, we are uh, uh, given this image of Jesus that is glorious, that is overwhelming. And it is a reminder of his authority. It is a reminder that he is exalted. It is a reminder that he is preeminent. And he has all authority and power in his hand. And if anyone is going to be speaking We should listen to him. This is in the shadow of chapter one. We would do well to listen and obey. One of one pattern that we see in in the letters to come. I I just want to lay this out in this first sermon. We, We see a pattern to each one of these letters. And the pattern always begins with the characteristic of Jesus. This, this letter begins, and it reminds you just who Jesus is. Beloved, sometimes before you actually receive a word from Jesus, you have to be reminded who Jesus is. But Because in, in a world full of distractions, in a world full of, 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 of people who want to diminish the authority of Jesus, we need to be reminded just how holy, just how righteous, just how powerful he is, and, and before we actually come into a, a point that we're ready to hear from him. And he starts each one of these letters with a characteristic of himself. And then he, he usually moves into a word of commendation. 
All but one church receives some type of commendation. You're doing this well. You're holding on to this and you are, you are making uh, my name known in this way. He gives the commendation. But then from a, con- a, a commendation, he gives a word of condemnation or criticism. You're doing well here. However, you need to do this because you're failing here. Beloved, can we humbly hear Jesus speak to us? We can be so defensive when people critique us. As soon as someone says anything wrong about you or that you've done, we don't want to hear. And we get defensive immediately and, and, and we want to push back and we want to we want to stammer and stutter. And but but today, Jesus, he he really is not worried about your response. We just need to listen. And he gives a, 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 a criticism of how they're functioning in this world. But praise be to God, he doesn't leave them there because after this criticism, he gives them a way of correction. Now, this is what I want you to do. And he closes in each one of them with a word of commitment. He, he, he closes with a promise for every letter. He says, to the one who conquers, to the one who overcomes, I have something for you. I have something for you in glory. That's the pattern as we walk through these seven letters. And, and these letters, they go to the heart of God's plans and purposes for the church in the world. Now, specifically to this letter to the church in Ephesus, we, we're, we're familiar with this, this church in Ephesus, this first of the seven letters. We're familiar because we, we, we see a little bit about Ephesus in Acts, the 19th through the 20, 20th chapter from, from one of Paul's missionary journeys. And, and we know that, that Paul goes there and uh, Aquila and Priscilla, they're there and they've planted this church and this church begins to thrive and the church is making so much impact in the culture that the people are, are getting rid of their idolatry, they're burning their books and, and, and the culture is being changed because of this church. We also know a bit about this church just from the book of Ephesians, the letter to the Ephesians that Paul writes, and he is commending them to uh, re- be reminded of who you are in Christ in order to live out who he's called you to be. We know a little bit about this church. This, this church, however, was established in the center of paganism, in the center of a culture full of wickedness and a culture full of idolatry. This city, Ephesus, was the center of worship for the fertility goddess, goddess, Artemis. The temple at which Artemis was worshipped was one of the seven wonders of the world at the time. And it was the place of cult prostitution where, where in order to, to appease this God of fertility, they were actually engaged in, in, in prostitution and sexual acts in order to gain the favor of this false God. And, 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 and it was so prevalent, the worship of this false God, that Ephesus had an, a whole economy built upon idolatry. We see this again in, in Acts, the, the 20th chapter, so about where, where the people who were losing money because of the industry going down because of the word of God began to riot. Demetrius the silversmith, he, he was losing money, so he got mad. And they began to riot against Paul and the others there at the church. Beloved, Ephesus had a reputation, sort of, sort of like Las Vegas. You know, Las Vegas got a reputation. 
I mean, I mean, you know, there's, you know, when, when, when you go to Las Vegas, you know, there's, there's other things to do besides gamble and get in trouble. But, but when you're telling somebody you're going to Las Vegas, I'm just telling you what they're thinking in your head. In their head, they're not thinking about you doing the family-friendly stuff, but there's a certain reputation that's kind of tied to that city. But, but this city has such a reputation for paganism and idolatry, it was rampant. So much so, this is why I believe that when Paul is getting ready to leave, he calls all of the elders to himself. And he begins to give them instruction. Turn with me to Acts, the 20th chapter. Acts, the 20th chapter. Looking here at verses 28 through 31. The Apostle Paul is getting ready to leave this church. He is not coming back. And he wants to make sure that in the midst of a pagan, sinful culture, that they stand for the word of God, and they stand for Christ to be a witness. And, and he says to them, Acts the 20th chapter, beginning with the 28th verse, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the, the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know, watch this, that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. So Paul knows that because they're in a sin-sick culture, there will be people who would come into the church and try to distort the teaching that he has laid for the people. But one thing about this church, beloved, I believe, I believe they took this word of caution, caution seriously. They took it seriously, and now this church, this, this church becomes a refuge for orthodoxy. This church becomes the pinnacle for those who are interested in right doctrine. Who is Jesus? What has he accomplished? What does the death, burial, and resurrection really mean? Is he coming back? This church would have had all the right answers because they had right doctrine. And because they were focused on right doctrine, when wolves would come in, they would be able to say, no, that doesn't sound quite right. I think you have it wrong. And this is what Jesus said. They, they were able to refute and to push back wolves. Beloved, don't you know there's wolves out there? There's people who always want to come into the church and, and change everything that, that God has already established. They, they want to add a special word. They want to add a special revelation to what Jesus already said. Beloved, ain't no new revelations. What we have is the, the closed canon of Scripture. He's given us every sing, single thing that we need for life and godliness. This is a closed book. He's revealed to us. There's no, no special insight that we need in order to, to, to be saved. He's given us what we need. So, beloved, when people come up to you talking about they had a dream and, and they want to give you a word from God, you take their word and you measure it against Scripture. They may have just had a bad burrito last night, but you want the truth. Beloved, this church was filled with orthodoxy, but like a child who only gets half the instructions. You ever told your child like two things in one instruction? And they seem to pick the easiest thing and don't do the other thing. This is the church in Ephesus. 
Because they choose to do the, 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 the main part of keeping sound doctrine, but they forget the other part. Look back with me in Acts the 20th chapter. In verse 35, the, the second half of Paul's instructions, he says to them, In all things, I have shown you that by, watch this word, working hard. Hold on to that. Because when we look back in Revelation 2, Jesus, he, he, he talks about their works. Not just, not just what you believe, not just your doctrine, but how are you living this thing out? And he says that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. What, what is going on here? See, not only should the church in Ephesus have sound doctrine, the church needs to have sound deeds in order to be fully obedient to Jesus Christ. See, it, it can't be either or. It has to be both and. And that's the church of Jesus Christ. We can't just come in people's face with doctrine, doctrine, doctrine if our deeds, deeds, deeds don't back up our doctrine. We can... Talking until we're blue in the face, talking about right doctrine, who Jesus is. But if, if our theology doesn't call us to be loving and kind and helpful, if our theology don't cause us to get up off our backsides and do something, it's a dead theology. This church was in danger of heading that way. One way to put this is truth without love becomes little more than a cold demonstration of power. And love without truth ceases to be genuine love. Another author puts it this way. The great challenge in the church is the balance of no truth without love, no love without truth. And lastly, love without truth is sentimentality. Truth without love is harshness. So you can't have one or the other. Uh, in the church, we, we have to hold the tension together. See, as Christians, we don't like tension. We, we don't like to have to wrestle, to actually have to think about our Christianity. We just want it black and white. Pastor, just tell me what to do. No! What is the Lord instructing you to do in this moment? Think about it. What, what is he calling you to live? How, how can you marry both truth and, and doctrine with love and kindness and put it together because that is what makes a church the church of Jesus Christ. This is why we have this letter. The church in Ephesus seems to have begun emphasizing doctrine over deeds, duty over devotion. See, when devoted to Jesus, you... You can't have one without the other. And, and what we learn from Jesus' letter to the church in Ephesus is that our devotion to Jesus must be marked by truth and love. Our devotion to Jesus must be marked by truth and love. See, these, these words are, uh, are a, a, a commendation and a condemnation for Ephesus but may these words of Jesus function as a source of exhortation 
an admonishment for us today. Look here first. Devotion to Jesus must, must be marked by truth. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, in verse 1, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. See, Jesus already, he's interpreted this meanings of the seven stars and the seven uh, golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of each of the churches, and the lampstands are the churches. Now, now, now some scholars believe that, that when he says the, these are the angels of the church, these are literal angels that are keeping watch over every church. But, but some scholars believe that these angels are the actual pastors in each one of these churches that is, that is given charge to make sure their people hear this word. At this present moment, I tend to believe that he's talking to, to pastors. Why? Because he says, write, to, write these words to the angels. If, if Jesus wanted to speak to angels, he would just talk to angels. But this is a word coming from angels to John, to us, the church. So, so these stars are, 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 are leaders or messengers in the church, pastors possibly. But, and, and, and look where they're being held in the right hand of Jesus, the, the hand of authority, the hand of power, the hand of protection. He, he's saying to those who are leading the church, I got you. You don't have to worry about all the mess and, and that's going on. I got you. Speak on my behalf. Beloved, as leaders in the church, we, we, we can never be afraid to speak the truth of what God has to say. Because at the end of the day, we have to give an account to him and not to anybody else. And, and, and it goes on to say that he is, I love, I love the imagery, the one who walks among the lampstands. You, you, it's this illustration of, of the seven churches and these golden lampstands and Jesus, he's just walking in the midst. He, he has his eye on his church. He's, he's making sure his church is still functioning. Remember why he, he's fulfilling his promise. He's already promised and the gates of hell shall not prevail against my church. Why, why want to prevail? Is it because we're so strong? Is it because we're so smart? Is it because we're so educated? Nah, it's because Jesus walking around keeping us. This is the truth that Jesus is walking amongst us, keeping us. So it's from that position that Jesus gathers, we can, we can, we can live marked by truth. In verse 2, he says, I know your, here it is, works your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. I want to skip down verse 6. This is, this, is the, this is a continuum of the commendation. Yet this you have. You hate the work of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. So, so what, what Jesus is saying is that this church in Ephesus, the Ephesians, they were standing for truth in the midst of a sinful culture. They're standing for the truth of Christ. And how do we know? Because he says some have tried to come in calling themselves to be apostles, but have been found to be false. He's saying that people had come in and, and they were trying to teach false things to the church, but they were able to say, wait a minute, that don't sound right. You saying I have to speak in tongues in order to be saved? 
No, I don't think so. You saying that 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 I have to uh, attend church every Sunday in order to be accepted by God? No, 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 I don't think so. Uh, and they're adding to salvation. It's something false about the way they're teaching. And they're able to say, no, that's not right. Why? Because they know doctrine. They know scripture. They know their Bibles. We see this in the Nicolaitans. We'll see more of them. When we talk to when we look at the letter to the church in Pergamum, but this was a, a we don't know a whole lot about them because really the, in Revelation is the only place where we find them. But there's some type of religious sect and they were a group of false teachers and they were closely connected with the cults of Balaam. You remember Balaam in Numbers that they, they tried to they tried they tried to use Balaam to curse Israel. And they tried to make it seem that 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 he wasn't he, he that he wasn't going to uh, uh, bless them, that he was going to uh, curse them using Balaam. That that's the testimony that 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 Israel had uh, going forward. But God kept them, even though they were trying to be cursed. God kept them. But what they what Balaam did to Balak, Balak said Balaam took Balak and said, "This is what you do then." This is what you do. I'm not going to curse them, but you just begin to allow the women to go in their camp. And now sexual immorality began to be pervasive all throughout the camp, and it begins to bring them down from the inside out. They're falling into sin because of what's going on. So this sect has something to do with sexual immorality. But as we look at the text and we understand that the Ephesians are standing in the midst of a sinful culture, God has had his hand on them and allowed them to, to, be bold, to be a bold witness. But the way that they do it is to be found false means these false teachers had to be tested against something. How did they know this was false? Beloved, because they knew what was the truth. They knew the truth. The Ephesians actually had something ingenious. The, they would take what people said and what people taught and hold it up to the light of God's word to reveal its authenticity. It was ingenious. They said, okay, you say this, but what did God say? That, that's like brilliant, isn't it? You are saying this, but God says this. Teachers will come in and say, well, truth is relative, and your truth is not my truth. I have a different truth, and we're just at different places. They would take that, and then they will hold up John 17, 17, and say, well, Jesus says, your word is truth. Sanctify them in truth. And they will hold it up and say, well, well, this is false. False teachers will come in and say, the law is the way to salvation. If you keep the law, then you will be saved. And they would look over in Ephesians 2 and 8 and says, but for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, but it is the gift of God. And, and they will hold it up to that and it's like, well, no, this is false. They, they, they would take... A false teacher's comments that there are many ways to heaven. 
And they will look in the Gospel of John 14, 6, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father but by me. And they will put it up against it and say, well, no, this is false. They, they, teachers will come in and they will begin to say, you don't need to be married to enjoy sexual intimacy. And, 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 and they will come in and say that, but then they will look at 1 Thessalonians 4 and it says, uh, 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 abstain from sexual immorality. This is the will of God, your sanctification. And they will say, well, this is false. And they will continue to look at the word of God compared to what people are saying. They would look at the false teachers say, I can do whatever I want to do as long as I'm not hurting nobody. But then they will look at 1 Corinthians 6 and 19 through 20 and says, or do you not know that your body is not your own, but it was bought with a price and the blood of Jesus. And they are just taking the word of God and applying it to their everyday life. It's brilliant. They're actually taking the word of God and applying it to their life. Beloved, stop running around here acting like you don't know what you're supposed to do. You know what you're supposed to do. You just don't want to do what you're supposed to do. God has laid it out. He is saying, follow me. If anyone wants to come after me, if you want to be saved, if you want to go to heaven, if you want to experience eternity with Jesus and glory, he says, you must deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. He didn't say follow Netflix. He didn't say follow your smartphone. He didn't say follow Facebook, follow Instagram. He says, follow me. Stop waking up every day thinking about yourself first. He says you got to deny yourself. That means it ain't about you. That, that means it ain't about what you want to do. It ain't about where you want to go. It ain't about your calendar. It ain't about your plans. It's about Jesus. To follow Jesus is to actually be concerned about what Jesus wants me to do. That's truth. That's truth. Doctrine does matter. What you believe does matter. Because what you believe, you become. This is the importance of right belief. You need to know the word of God. You need to know your Bible. Stop relying upon somebody else. You need to know the word of God in order that he can use you in the situation. So devotion to Jesus must be marked by truth. But lastly, devotion to Jesus must be marked by love. Here in verse 4, we see this. He says, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember what it was like when you first got saved? I mean, when you first got saved. I mean, when, when Jesus first saved you. I mean, you, you was excited about what he did in your life. I mean, you was asking questions like, me? For God so loved the world? That he gave his only begotten son. No, no, the preacher was preaching. You know how they, how they say, don't just, just don't. And where it says world, just put your name. For God so loved Nate that he gave his only begotten son. That if Nate believed in him, 
that, and, and we began to walk through that. Remember when you was first saved, the, the zeal and the excitement that you could not believe, you could hardly contain yourself. But you know, as you get older, and you've been a Christian for a little while, you get a little sophisticated. And you actually forget where you came from. And you actually begin to diminish your old saying, well, you know, I, w- I really wasn't that bad. But they bad. But they really bad here. And you begin to forget. Then you begin to get used to being a Christian like, like, like Jesus was supposed to save you because you was the deacon's child or because you went to church every day. Like, like Jesus actually owed you something. And you get sophisticated in your faith. You, you, you don't tell nobody about Jesus no more because you say, they should see it in my life. But, beloved, if they could just see it in your life, then you wouldn't have to say nothing. But they can't see it in your life, so you got to say something. I'm sorry, I'm meddling. Let me stop. The church in Ephesus had turned from being outward to completely inward. They were only thinking about themselves. They was only thinking about these four walls. They, I'm sorry. They was only thinking about, will my seat still be open when I get to church? They was only thinking, and they better not be in my parking spot this week. And they sat down. And they said, and the choir better sing today because I need to hear. And the preacher better preach today because I need to hear. And they began to be so inward focused, they were only thinking about themselves. And they forgot what it really means to love Jesus. They forgot, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. They forgot. They will know you are my disciples if you love one another. They forgot I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came for me. We can't get you to speak to a visitor. How will you share the gospel with somebody? Inward focus. I don't want to. I don't feel like it. I don't have time. Beloved, you better use the time you got for the Lord Jesus while you can. Beloved, realize the love that this world talks about is is false. The world says that our love is is an emotion and that you feel a certain way and that you should, you should walk around feeling ooey-gooey inside about your spouse that you're sitting next to. Beloved, if you've been married more than six months, then you know you ain't going to always feel like you're in love. I mean, I, I feel like I'm in love every week with Sister Red, though. You know, I'm just saying. Clean it up. Clean it up. But the Bible reminds us that that love is more than an emotion. Love is an action word. 1 Corinthians 13, God gives us an expose on love. And he defines it for us. 
He says things like, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I have, if I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. And you know, for, for, for the inner Pharisee in us, we say, well, then what's love? He says, I got you. <laughs> love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable, impatient, frustrated. That's irritable. Like when you talk to somebody and they scowl at you instead of smiling at you. Or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the what? Truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. What he's saying is, if this church genuinely loved one another and the culture, they would get up and do something and show their love for the culture and show their love for people. So much so that their love is out of devotion and not duty. Don't show up here because you have to, because you think I'm keeping attendance, making sure you don't, don't do it for me. Do it because you love Jesus. Do it because you love him so much that, that coming to worship service, that it don't, it's easy because I love him. I'm going to read my Bible and pray because I love him. Isn't this the same devotion that Jacob had in Genesis 29? The text of scripture said seven years was as one day just because he loved Rachel so much. He, he says, I, I love her so much, the work ain't hard. Beloved, if, if, if being a Christian is a whole lot of hard work for you, there's something wrong with your love. Because if you really love them, then it, it ain't hard. There, there, there'll be moments of up and down, but, but if you really love them, you'll, you'll find a way to get up and get over. Because he'll bring you through. Love is more devotion than duty. And, and here's the big deal, because to the watching world, the church, we don't have a bad reputation because of a lack of doctrine. We got a bad reputation for the lack of love in the house. Beloved, I mean, we, we could go topic after topic. We, I hear I was thinking about like legalism and, and being unrelational or lack of community. But what the Lord even just gave me is just how we talk to one another. How you... We have experienced so much church hurt just because of how church folks has talked to us when we was in church. You up in here so worried about yourself and, and, and you such a super saint, you feel like you can say anything you want to to everybody around here. I ain't talking about y'all, though. I'm talking about the mother churches. And, and Christians can be so caught up in their selves and their holiness that we actually, we feel like, I don't even know that person. I don't even know that boy who just came off the street. But I'm going to go up to him and say, take off your hat and pull up your pants and not invest into your life at all. 
Because we're so worried about doctrine. We're so worried about if the kids run around a sanctuary. We're so worried about who sits here and who sits there that we miss the love of one another. To be the church that God has called us to be, we take his glorious, beautiful truths found in doctrine and we marry it with the love that he has for broken people. And we say, here you are. This is Christ. This is the church. God is not pleased by dutiful obedience that does not flow from love. Let me wrap this up. Because here's the warning in verse 5. When the church stops living for the glory of God in the world, the church stops being a church. Jesus says, if you don't repent, I will remove your lampstand. And beloved, when when I was thinking about this, a lot of times before, I, I've thought about it in the terms that the Lord will close that church. But you know what? It, it, it may not be that God closes that church, but what happens is they have such a lack of influence that people don't even see that they are a church anymore. Their, their, their influence is so inward and they're so unloving that it doesn't, but it, it's not a church. It becomes a country club for the select and for the few. And Jesus says, if you ain't going to be at church, then I'm just going to take it away. If you're not going to let your light so shine before men that they see your good works, I'm just going to take your light away. And then you get to sit up in one another's face. But you're not going to represent me in this world. And what does he say? He says, repent. Repent. He gives us a path back towards obedience. How how do we obey Jesus and be a loving church? Well, first thing we have to do, we have to remember. He says in verse 5, remember, therefore, where you are fallen for. We got to think back. And I want you to remember two things. Remember a time when when you was on fire for Jesus. Think back to a time where where you were really excited about Jesus. And and think about what was going on, what was involved in your life. What were you keeping yourself away from? What were you not watching? What were you reading? And, And you think back and you remember where God has brought you from. But then pause to think about what Jesus has rescued you from. Think about how you used to be passed out on weekends. Think about how all your relationships used to be so broken because you did it your way. Think about how how your life used to be when you used to live for yourself. Remember that. Then remember that Jesus himself got up on a bloody cross and gave his life for you. Remember that, that, that Jesus was beaten and mocked all the way up to Via Della Rosa. That they hung them high and they stretched them wide. Remember the, the crown of thorns that they placed on his head. Remember how they pierced him in his side. Remember how they took all his earthly possessions from him. Remember that he was innocent. That he didn't commit any sin. Remember that it was your sin and my sin being laid upon him. Remember that, that, 
that the sky went dark and the father turned his back on his son for your sin and for my sin. That Jesus himself was forsook because of your, your brokenness and your anger and your bitterness and your mouth. And remember how, how Jesus said, it is finished. And he surrendered his spirit to the Father and he, he hung his head and died. And remember that they placed his body in a borrowed tomb. And remember that he stayed there all night Friday night. And he stayed there all night Saturday night. And remember how, how early on one Sunday morning that, that all power was placed in his hand and God raised him from the grave for you and for me. Cry out like David, oh Lord, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Remember what Jesus has done for you, then repent from how you've been living. Repentance is a change of heart that leads to a change of direction. Lord, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And then you return. He says you go back to doing what you're supposed to do. You remember, you repent, and you return. Beloved, just want to make it plain. If you are not actively loving those in the church, you are in sin and you need to repent. If you only consume our love and don't give us your love, you are in sin and need to repent. If you are not actively loving those outside the church, you are in sin and you need to repent. If you never have a conversation with people in here or people out there about Jesus, you are in sin and you need to repent. Because that was the Ephesians church first love, Jesus. But beloved, praise God that he has a promise for us in verse 7. He says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And he has a promise to the one who conquers, to the one who overcomes, to the one who, who, who's able to repent, the, the, the one that doesn't get defeated by their sin but overcomes their sin, the one that doesn't allow the world to, to take over their mind and their hearts, the, the one who is steadfast for Jesus, I will grant to eat of the tree of life. You see what he's doing? He's going back to Genesis. He, he says, that which Adam and Eve lost, for the one who conquers, I'm going to restore and give it back to them. And that tree of life is a metaphor for eternal life. Because when we look at Revelation 22, when, we, when we're gathering in glory in heaven and we're partying and celebrating, he says there is a river. And by that river is the tree of life. And from that tree of life, we're going to partake. And we'll never die. We'll never be sick. We'll never suffer harm because we get to be in the face of the master every day for eternity when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun. I have no less days to sing his praise than when I first begun. But oh, oh, the blood of Jesus has made a way that we can partake from the tree of life. And what man has lost, Jesus has restored. The way to paradise is marked by devotion to Jesus. Is not 
the gospel marked by truth and love? The truth is you are a sinner in need of a Savior. But love says Jesus came down to do something about it. He laid down his life that you may be rescued. Look to Jesus in truth, but look to Jesus in love today. And you may be here and there's never been a moment in your life where you've actually said, Lord, I'm sorry. Would you please forgive me? Today is the day of salvation. Don't wait any longer. Don't continue to live for yourself. Don't continue to run from the church because you've been hurt by the church. Jesus ain't hurt you. He wants to make you whole. And to the one who will save, make today the day that you cry out to, to God and ask him, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Our devotion to Jesus must be marked by truth and love. Let us pray. Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the power that you have given us through your Holy Spirit to obey. And Father, I ask that you would take these weak words and you would sow into someone's heart salvation. Please rescue, please deliver, and please help us not to be a loveless church, but help us to be a loving church because of Christ. We love you, we thank you. In Jesus' precious holy name we do pray, amen. Beloved, the doors of the church are now open. If you're here today, there's never been a moment where you trust Jesus as Lord and Savior. And you want to know what must I do to be saved? Saved from your sin. Saved from the power of sin.